No punches were landed. There was a little bit of chokehold. The memes that followed were pretty funny, I'm not gonna lie. The memes of Cat tapping out to the WWE countdown was pretty funny. I think it's just two competitive teams where you got two all-star caliber talents, two all-world centers competing, and things escalated and got out of hand, but luckily no one was hurt. You're talking about a guy who still has pace. By pace, I mean he's fast, but he doesn't always play fast. He's able to change his gears. He's able to slow things down, get his defender on his back sometimes, and manipulate the defense to his advantage. So that way, when he does take off and really use that athleticism, when he really uses that speed, it's more prevalent. I had a great time. Shout out to Stumptown. If you haven't seen it, I memorized my lines and I don't know, a few hours. It's really funny. First we read them out loud, like actually reading the script, and then we go off script. And and I got it, I nailed it off script, and then they just, they were like, all right, let's go live rolling. And then the lights came out and everything, and it was showtime. Welcome to the Terrell Owens episode of Pull Up. That's right, episode number 81. We are fresh off of our first road trip of the season where we went three and one. We dropped a game to the San Antonio Spurs where we were up 19. Then we were down 19, ended up coming back. Dame scored 18 in the fourth quarter to rally us. And we came up a little bit short, but we had a come from behind victory in Dallas, a victory in Oklahoma to wrap up the series and a victory in Sacramento to start it. So we're looking forward to playing at home once again. A lot has happened across the NBA. It's Halloween night as we record this podcast in Jordan. Witnessed a fight live. I had to watch it late, and I wouldn't even call it a fight. It was more of a expensive tug of war or hugging contest, so to speak. Jordan, thoughts on the incident between Joel and beating Carl Anthony Towns? Did you see it coming beforehand? No. I know Embiid talked about how he was not going to talk trash this season to Rachel Nichols and has continued to talk trash as he normally does each year. No, I didn't see it coming. And as we were talking about before we started recording, I think this was a manifestation of something that, you know, has happened in the past. You had said, obviously, you know, Carl Anthony Towns was frustrated. They were getting hammered pretty good on the road. Um, I, I, I was surprised, though, because it seemed to escalate so fast and it didn't seem to be much until it was. Like, I, it didn't seem like there was much that really sparked it. I was I was really caught off guard by it. It was a... It was the first battle royale, if you will, of the NBA season. I did not like that Ben Simmons came in when Cat was already on the ground with MV trying to work through their issues, and Ben Simmons gave him that little chokehold. I thought that was <laughs> a pretty weak move. And as a whole, um, like you said, you know, it looks a lot worse than it is because it's two seven footers. But ultimately, this is just going to be a massive fine for everyone involved. You don't think they will be suspended for a game or two? No, yeah, for these uh, actions suspension as well. But I think the fine will hurt more. I think this is going to be a pretty significant fine on both sides. Yeah, I definitely think they're going to be fine suspended. This time last year, there was a fight uh, between the Lakers and the Rockets, where Chris Paul. Rajon Rondo, Brandon Ingham, among many others, were involved in altercation. It seems like each year there's one or two a year where things just kind of go from zero to 60 as it did last night. But I think luckily for both parties, no punches were landed. Um, there was a little bit of wrestling, like you said before, a little bit of chokehold. The 76ers protested that Ben Simmons was being a peacemaker. Minnesota has since appealed that. 
the camera angles showed him with his arm around his neck and the memes that followed were pretty funny. I'm not going to lie. The memes of of uh, Kat tapping, tapping out to the WWE countdown was pretty funny. Um, but honestly, I think it's just two competitive teams um, where you got two all-star caliber talents, two all-world centers competing and Things escalated and got out of hand, but luckily no one was hurt and they can kind of move forward from this. Uh, a lot of charities are going to benefit from this, from the amount of money these guys are going to lose uh, in terms of fines. But I think all in all, um, besides the fact that they're going to be fined and that there was a lot of interaction on social media, I think basketball is still the best sport in the world and we continue to figure out ways to stay in the media through good and through bad. Well, the social media element to me was the bigger fight, you know, because you had, you had the fact that Carl Anthony Towns is exposed, first of all, we thought, by Joel Embiid saying, I was raised by lions and a cat came after me. <laughs> and then Cat and then puts up these images of Joel Embiid basically crying on Twitter. And then you had Cole Aldrich putting up a video of Carl Anthony Towns' is- <laughs> Parents yelling at Embiid as he goes through the tunnel after the ejection. And uh, I, I guess I don't really know who got the best of one another. If you're just looking at the fight, it seemed like it was pretty even. And I guess the social media afterward, Embiid probably was, I mean, he started it and, and then Carl Anthony came back at him. But it, it did appear like on the court that Carl Anthony was the one who initiated the the uh, you know the actual fight. Yeah, it looked like they kind of got tied up on a, a screen or something that happened away from the ball. It was a transition play, and I think the aggressiveness just kind of turned up. I'm not sure if it was Towns who started or if Embiid provoked them. Maybe they were talking to each other. I'm sure they were talking back and forth in each other's ear throughout the game, and uh, maybe something that was said crossed the line, and it led to the physical hugging wrestling match. I, I'll say that. It, as I said last night in the locker room, I think that was a million-dollar hug. It's one of the more expensive hugs I've seen um, thus far. And hopefully other, other people and players learn from this. If you're going to get suspended, um, if I get suspended, I'm going out swinging. Right. I'm not going out wrestling. I'm going to lose some bread. Get your money in? <laughs> I'm going. I'm kidding. My money's worth. But I think it's just unnecessary. Like We all know each other. If you really have a problem with somebody, you can get the gloves. I have boxing gloves. A lot of teams have <laughs> boxing gloves. And you can set up literally a time to really settle your dispute. And if you're worried about... In the tunnel. Yeah, in the tunnel, in a private area, in somebody's house, in somebody's backyard, you can literally get headgear and really handle this like we did growing up. Like... With your fist or with boxing gloves in this matter. You don't want to worry about breaking your hand. You get your hand wrapped. You can really take all the steps necessary to handle this in private, which is why I don't understand why it got to the point that where they were going at each other on social media. That's how you know it was just it was just more anger. It was more anger and rage because they weren't really thinking about the consequences. They were just more so thinking about how they felt at the time. Well, we know that NBA players are, are the constant. Hold me back. Hold me back. NBA basketball players don't want to fight. <laughs> Football players will fight. Um, and then Joel Embiid comes out, by the way, on, on Twitter today um, or late last night. That tough guy acting, cutting it. You know what you are. And then he says, big kick in your ass and pretty please make the playoffs before you talk. It's a known thing that I own you in all caps at Carl Towns. <laughs> so I guess for you, when you hear that, like, what's the next step for this? Like, 
how does this because there's no way these guys are going to actually get in a ring to your point it's just i don't see that happening but is this something that persists um do you think that because you remember ben simmons who he he was the one that was playing video games with carl anthony towns um saying you know last year saying oh we don't, i don't need to really get ready or you don't need to get ready because you're playing the hawks and he had he had a jab at the Hawks, and and they seemed like they were tight. Him and Towns. So there's a lot of factors here. But do you think this thing will continue <laughs> the next time these teams play? How ironic they were playing video games with each other a year ago, and and a year later Ben Simmons has him in the headlock as he's restraining him. Uh, I think it's funny, but I think it'll just be competitive. That's the biggest thing. They'll really try to go at each other. It'll be personal. They both will want their teams to win independently, obviously. But I don't think it becomes a problem because these are two guys who understand how valuable they are to their teams. And if you're not able to physically perform and play for your team, you're hurting your team. I think in this case, they both understand that. And going forward, they'll be more smart with how they move and deal with this situation. You know, if you don't like somebody, that's fine. But you have to figure out ways to be accountable for your actions so that you aren't hurting your team. We're in the Western Conference. Um, it's different for us than it is for Joel Embiid. Carl Anthony Towns is in a position to potentially try to take his team to the playoffs, and you don't want to miss games in the regular season to where you could be extending or improving your, your advantages or chances of making the playoffs. Joel Embiid is in a different situation where the Sixers are in the Eastern Conference. They've been in the playoffs consistently, and even when he's missed games, they figured out ways to still kind of survive and be in position to make the playoffs. But without Towns... Minnesota is a completely different team. Yeah, and you guys play Philadelphia coming up pretty quick, right? Mm-hmm. And I would imagine that uh, Mr. Embiid will not be out there. I, uh, I don't think so. On Saturday when we play the Sixers. Yeah. Well, you mentioned Towns um, and Minnesota. That you know, it was it's three and zero. It was their best start uh, in over a decade. He was averaging going into the game thirty two and thirteen on fifty one percent threes. Uh, those numbers took a hit, um, and we've talked about how well he's played. Philadelphia, top three NBA defense, and uh, they definitely bottled up uh, Trey Young. They bottled up Boston, specifically Kemba and Tatum. Uh, you know, that, that's a tough team. I, I did, I was struck by the fact that uh, Joel Embiid basically, like you said, he, he's talked about how he's done talking trash. Well, then he comes out on Twitter last night and says, I'm done again. And he also says after the game, you got to come in here. You got to fight. You got to play hard. You got to be gritty. You got to be a Broad Street bully. You know, Embiid, it's funny. I was talking to an executive today about him, just like the person, the player, combining everything. And he said something that struck me, which is basically something I've heard before, but to hear it in the aftermath of this really struck me, which is he he's like a child sometimes. I mean, you know, this is very childish behavior, the way that he handles himself on and off the floor, specifically with social media. I mean, I hate to compare someone to a child, but in this case, I think he could be more mature about how he handles certain situations. I think the antics, although it does help the crowd become more involved, I think sometimes it can become a distraction, especially in this case to where he's being suspended, um, potentially suspended for multiple games where he's going to have to be fined. I think at that point, it's crossing the line. Obviously, you got to protect yourself. And I'm not sure who started the situation on the court, but to take it to social media, to, to continue to go back and forth, I think that's a sign of immaturity, not just from MB, but from both players. Yeah. Um, because of the circumstances, you've handled what you needed to handle on the court. And if you still have problems with each other, you can handle it. 
um, in person. But to go back and forth on social media and kind of create that mm-hmm. distraction, that coverage that's going to surround that now, it's the it's the thing everybody talks about today. We're talking about it. All the media outlets will talk about it on TV, Sports Center, ESPN, you name it. It'll be a discussion for the next, I don't know, five to seven days, whereas it could have just been the situation on the court, it's over with, now you move on and, and go back to handling business. So I think there's ways to handle certain things. And as he continues to get older, realizes he's the face of a franchise that comes with different type of responsibilities. And I think he'll start to figure that out sooner or later. Yeah, and they're a completely different team without him. Um, you're talking about, like you said, you know, one of the best centers and, and really one of the best players uh, in the league. Um, without him, for example... In the Eastern Conference semis last year, uh, the Raptors outscored Philadelphia by 199 by 109 points in the 99 minutes that Embiid rested. Uh, points per possession is completely different, and and Brett Brown even said last year he's our crown jewel, and and that's with all due respect, I'm sure to Ben Simmons, but you know he is he's the most important player on that team, and uh, I, I I don't know I I feel like. Because it's Embiid, we, we probably make it even more of a big deal. I don't really put Carl Anthony in the same um, breath in, in terms – because he doesn't do a lot of the same stuff on social media. But anytime there's somebody that has a, a history or a pattern of behavior, you, you automatically think that – at least for me, like I, I feel like it's probably more on Embiid than anything else. So I'll be really interested to see, CJ, how this moves forward and uh, – you know what 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 the fines are what the suspensions are i mean what what do you think is realistic like a couple game suspension and then probably a six a six figure fine for each guy a huge fine a huge fine is coming for sure i'm not sure how much it'll be but from the cursing during the interviews to the social media antics they're they're going to be fined heavily for how they conducted and carried themselves after okay cj we have learned that Carl Anthony Towns and Embiid were both suspended for two games, no suspension or fine um, for Ben Simmons. So with that in mind, Carl Towns, I'm sure you saw this on Instagram and Twitter. He says, I ain't no bitch raised around lions, hashtag bitch talk. It's basically a ton of pictures of Embiid looking like sad or, or you know, mopey or like getting, as, as Towns would say, dominated, I guess. So have you seen that? And, and also, what do you make of the suspensions now, especially Simmons not getting one? Um, I'm not surprised they were suspended. Um, the length could be argued both ways, I suppose. You could argue it should be one game. You could argue it should be three games. But I knew it was coming, and I think to set a precedent, they made sure it was multiple games, although I don't think any punches were thrown. It was a situation where it escalated. Um, they were wrestling around with each other. They, they created a environment that potentially could be unsafe for fans, especially if someone's involved in the first row, like falls in somebody in the first row or something like that. But I think it is what it is. Honestly, we play the Sixers on Saturday. I like to play them at full strength, but you, you, you play the hand that you're dealt, and the hand we're dealt is going to be against a team who's missing their starting center, although we'll be missing our starting center, our starting power forward, and Whiteside's day-to-day, so we're not sure what's going to happen with him um, going forward. But you, you only play the games that are on your schedule, so 
all we can do is go out there and hoop. And I think the NBA handled this situation the best way they see fit. No fine for Ben Simmons probably was a little surprising because he was involved, but I'm sure he had an explanation for, you know, why he was in that position. And I'm sure the fact that he's actually friends with Towns helps his cause greatly in this case. See, I, I feel like that make it worse, though, <laughs> because the way that he came in and and lit up towns who was already on the ground. It makes it worse to me if they're boys. Yeah, it, it does look worse, but I'm sure based on their relationship or their situation that the explanation from both parties could be that, hey, we are friends. He was just trying to look out for me, mm. et cetera, et cetera, as opposed to I was really trying to choke him out. Because if they are friends, there's no way he was really trying to choke him out. Maybe he was just trying to calm him down because you don't choke out your friends. It, 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 it looked like television. he was trying to choke him out, <laughs> I guess we won't know until we ask him. We have to ask. Well, him. what are God, have have you guys already talked about it in the locker room? Like, what 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 was the reaction? Of, of- I haven't, but I can't wait. I can't wait until we play the Sixers so I can ask him what he was doing. And, and when we played when we played the Minnesota Timberwolves, I'm gonna ask Towns if he <laughs> felt like he was getting choked. But our reaction was just that it was it, it was wild that it happened that fast. Yeah, like, them going from like just kind of bumping into each other to on the ground wrestling. It, it was. It was a quick situation or circumstance where it evolved in a hurry. And we were all just kind of taken aback by it, but we thought it was kind of funny. Everybody kind of laughed. If this was Portland, who would be the one guy on your squad that, like, if you needed to have your back, you would say, I, I, I want him to make sure I'm, I'm good? On my squad? Who do you not go after if you're somebody else and you're you're trying to – Make a save into the Blazers. Who's the one guy that you're just that you're not scared of, but guys would be he- very hesitant to mess with? Well, I mean, Nurk's like 300 pounds, and his dad is like a mythical legend to where <laughs> he literally beat up 15 guys at once. He's a police officer, and he's like seven over seven feet, over 400 pounds. So, I think that's a guy who grew up on a farm. He's seen a lot. He knows how to defend himself, and he's just a a large human being. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. Like he's literally. He's over seven feet, you know, around three hundred pounds. That's like a that's just someone yeah. you don't try. He's the Bosnian beast. Like you know, there's there's certain players that have built up reps as being like the tough guy. Like it used to be Ron Artest. You know, James Johnson in Miami has a legit rep. He's like a black belt in karate, I think, and he's massive. There are certain guys that have reps as being guys that can really take care of business. I think Nurk is probably one of them, but he, it kind of his personality. I feel like. It belies some of his his like scariness because he's such a nice guy. Yeah, Nurk is a really nice guy, but at the at the same time, based on how he grew up and what he's gone through, I think if he gets a, a hold of somebody, a bear hug, or if he was in that grapple situation, you know, it, it becomes a completely different ball game. You know, depending on you know, if he gets you in the headlock versus a six six guy or a six seven guy, it's a completely different type of headlock. You know what I mean? What about Dame? He's not a he's no he's no softy. He's from Oakland. Yeah, Dame can box too. Dame's actually he's been boxing like a a long time now and, and has really gotten serious about it. So you're talking about a guy who who has power, strength, combinations. Um yeah, he's he's another guy who can handle his own in those type of situations. But once again, it's not going to be a wrestling match. That's, that's when you get you get down to boxing. Evan Turner has good hands. He's boxed and boxes a lot in the summertime. So there's a lot of guys who really box for real. So 
it'll be interesting to see what happens. People know who to try and who not to try in this league. But if you try, try the wrong guys, it's not going to be a wrestling match. You're going to see people throwing real punches with combinations. Well, I've told you how good the boxing thing is. I really want you to... I want one of the chances that we can get CJ to be known as someone not to try. I mean, I, I can handle my own. <laughs> and, I, no, I guess uh, I guess it's it's not that it's known that we don't try CJ. It's just that, or that that it's not known. But but again, people are like, "Oh, CJ, he's such a nice guy." You know, there are, like people don't just. I think everybody just assumes that you know you're. Uh, like just a great guy, which you are, but if somebody came after you, I guess your your background with Eric and probably always having to fend for yourself, I'm sure that helps. Oh yeah, I know how to fight. I took karate growing up and I can box and if the if it comes down to it honestly, um I, I would I would really look forward to that opportunity to display some of the things I've learned <laughs> over the course of my career, but uh, I'm not going to go provoke people, man. I'm just going to go out there and hoop. And if it comes to that, it comes to it. But I don't think it will because people really care about money. People yeah. really value money. Yeah. And when you do things like that, money is taken away from you. You're suspended. It changes the perception of you. And it hurts your team at the end of the day. Not being able to play uh, really hurts your team. So I think that will factor into people's decision-making going forward. But to to change topics a little bit, I've been watching a lot of these rookies play, and I've been really impressed with the obvious people. Obviously, John Morant, R.J. Barris look good. But the guy from Miami that's not Tyler Hero. Kendrick Nunn. He is nice. He is. This dude, I've never heard of him before. Before he dropped 40 in the preseason game, he can really hoop. And I've been impressed with his ability to go from a training camp invite to starter for the Miami Heat to averaging 20 a game through five games this season. He's really good. Really good. So when's the first time you saw him play? First time I saw him play was on the highlights against the Houston Rockets. Wow. In a preseason game. He's averaging 21. He's shooting 48.6%. Um, explosive downhill player. I, I'm surprised, too, because, well, Hero obviously set the record uh, or tied the record for uh, Dwayne Wade for rookie points with 29 um, and then you have Nunn, who's, you know, he went to the University of Illinois. I mean, the, the, you don't hear from the, you don't hear these stories very often. You know, it's, it's, it's a reason why undrafted guys usually end up in the G League or overseas. I'm very surprised to see this. And uh, I guess what has impressed you the most? Is it just the scoring? I think just how he's carried himself. You don't, you don't go from training camp roster invite to starter very often. So that shows you have extreme levels of confidence, talent, and ability. And then to be able to apply that to game action, to be able to play well in games as an undrafted guy, efficiently scoring the basketball, taking big shots, making big shots, finishing around a basket. He's shown an array of floaters. And I love these types of stories to where someone comes from under the radar um, to the public to the public spotlight. And you think that it just happened overnight. You think that, you know, he just magically became good, but you don't understand the work that he's put in behind closed doors, the doubt he's gone through, the the fact that he went to Illinois, the fact that he was undrafted. That's a lot of adversity he's gone through to now potentially being a rotation player on a playoff caliber team 
in the NBA. That's a that's a crazy story, and the efficiency he's displayed so far has, has been really impressive. Obviously, it's a small sample size, and things will change uh, one way or the other as the season progresses. I like what I've seen out of him so far, and I like what he has to offer to this game. Yeah, well, he's he went to Simeon, played high school basketball with Jaleel Okafor. Simeon, obviously, same high school as Benji Wilson and Derrick Rose at Okafor. Uh, famed famed high school in, in Chicago. He 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 played for Santa Cruz last year in the G League. How 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 quickly does it take for someone like this to really start to get scouting reports and teams to really find out what he doesn't do well? Oh, he's going to be on the scouting report for sure um, now. But in terms of them game planning for him, they'll start to the game plan for him about a month into the season. So sample size of about twenty five games. Um, a month and a half into the season, teams will begin game planning for him. They'll know his tendencies. They'll have a pretty good body of work on which way he likes to drive, how often he pulls up, does he like to finish with his right hand versus his left hand setups. And obviously Jimmy Butler's coming back, so like the the workload will change for him. Obviously Jimmy Butler will be a, a focal point of the offense in, in terms of how teams approach scouting them. But I think that uh, it'll take... I don't know, probably about 15 more games for them to really have enough film to figure out how to game plan towards him. So basically 20 to 30 games in is when we really can tell like just how good he's going to be or at least have a much better inclination of realistically, here's what this guy can do. It's hard to know how good a guy can be because you never know what the ceiling is until it happens. You know what I mean? But I think early on in their career, about 25 to 50 games in, they start to get film on you. But it's usually that next year when they have a full year of film. Like that's why you sometimes see the sophomore slumps, like not just for basketball players, but for quarterbacks, et cetera, because they have a lot of game film on you. So they're figuring out your decision-making. They're figuring out your tendencies. They have a larger, a larger base of statistics to kind of judge you from a larger sample size, so to speak. So, that they really know your your moves. And then it just comes down to how effective you can still get off moves that they know you're going to do. Like, we know Ginola is going to go left, but he's so good, it didn't matter. He still got left. We know LaMarcus Aldridge loves, you know, shooting over his right shoulder, but he still gets to his right so- shoulder because he's elite and he's that good at it. So then it just comes down to mastering what you're already good at. And the great ones... You know their moves, you know their tendencies, you know James Harden's going to dribble and like to get left. He likes to draw fouls, but he still goes to the line 15 to 20 times a game because he's mastered the art of basketball and how to create his shots and how to create his separation. Yeah, he was a four-time state champ, by the way. So he's he's no, I mean, he's accustomed to winning. It's interesting. I remember in Seattle, Ronald Flip Murray came in. He was a second-round pick out of a Division II school, and Ray Allen got hurt. Uh, I think in 03, 04, and missed 26 games. And Murray came in and would just, he lit the league up. And he ended up having a really good career. But it was those first 25, 30 games, to your point, where he averaged like 20, 25 points a game. And where, and then once the league really saw him, they were able to, you know, the league was able to adjust and, and his numbers started to dip. But, but um, I remember how, blown away everyone was by him and then seeing how the league shifted uh forcing him for example uh to take more perimeter shots and I, it was just it was a lot different for him once he started getting game plan for do you, do you remember that too when you felt like all of a sudden teams were playing you differently because you were you were all of a sudden scoring at a much higher clip yeah my third year in the league it was single coverage 
the bigs were usually in a drop on my pick and roll. So I was just walking into three pointers. I was walking into mid range jumpers. They were letting me get my step back off, letting me drive left. And as the season progressed, the defense just started to slowly change. And then by year four and five, you know, a lot of times I'm getting trapped off of ball screens or they're forcing me one way or the help is coming. The big is hedging a little bit longer. You start to see them understand how you score, what play calls are for you, face guarding you at certain times, maybe denying you certain catches, as opposed to just kind of allowing you to play freely and, and basically figuring out what you're good at. Now they already know. So that changes how you're guarded. Um, that changes the coverages you're going to face and who's guarding you. You can tell a lot about what a team thinks about you based on who's guarding you. Do they put their best defender on you? Do they put their second best defender on you? Do they put length on you? Um, how do they react? How do the coaching staff react and bench react when you go under a screen? Those are the type of things you pay attention to. Like early on in my career, they might go under a screen. They might mix it up. Now, if a guy goes under a screen, he's getting cursed out and he's not really trying to do that unless he has to, because then that gives me time to kind of stop behind and shoot. You're talking about a guy who's a career 40% three-point shooter with over 800 makes from three. Like that's a lot of, that's a lot of body work. That's a lot of statistics they have to kind of track. Like, okay, we probably shouldn't go under threes, but if you've only played well for 15 games, it's more of an experiment to where they're like, mm, is he really a three-point shooter or was it just a hot week, a hot two weeks, a hot three weeks? Is your child struggling with a specific subject or need help with homework? Are they asking questions that you're not sure you can fully answer? IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids. It covers math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed. This program will improve your kids' grades. Studies done in almost every state in the country. The kids who had IXL are consistently doing better. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid no matter the age or personality. And it doesn't have to eat up all your time. One subscription gets you everything for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. So don't miss out. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com audio. Visit IXL.com audio to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. CJ, there's been a lot of rookies that have stood out. Obviously, John Morant's been tremendous. Uh, Kobe White been on a scoring tear for Chicago. DeAndre Hunter in Atlanta averaging about 10 points, guarding a lot of spots, showing off that power game we saw at Virginia on both sides. And then I, I look at R.J. Barrett as well, and you know he's, he's playing a lot of minutes. He's scoring. That's not a surprise. What is surprising for me is – some of the passing and playmaking ability. You know, that's what Steve Nash, his godfather, talked a lot about throughout the pre-jab process, which was to say that once Barrett got to the NBA and had a more spread out floor with better shooters, that we would see uh, other parts of his game be highlighted. And I think that's exactly what's happened for Barrett so far. And then I, the other two guys, DeAndre Hunter in Atlanta, uh, I liked him a lot. Tough, um, physical, big, big wing that can guard. And then uh, and John Morant. I mean, I, I don't know what else to say other than he's just sensational. He he had a uh, he he did something that only Trey Young and uh, Isaiah Thomas have done. And he had 30, 30 points and nine assists, and I think his third game. And you see his ability, CJ, to really get downhill, finish, and then he made a great pass to end the game. And 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 what ended up being a buzzer beater. Um, 
after having this awesome offensive night, he had the wherewithal to give it up and trust his teammates. I thought that said a lot. Yeah, he's very, very good. He's what I anticipated, you know, based on what I've seen in college. Scoring is obviously there, but his ability to make his teammates better, his ability to get into the lane and create attention, obviously the athleticism. He's like a young, explosive Russell Westbrook. You know what I mean? He's like lively legs. He's fast from end to end, but still has that ability to create for others. He still has that ability to empower his teammates. As you said before, he passes the Jay Crowder for the game winner against the Nets, but he still has the wherewithal to score 30 points, to find his teammates throughout, and gets a crucial stop down the stretch on Kyrie Irving as a blocking his shot to force overtime. So I've been impressed with what I've seen from him, but I kind of expected him to, to be this assertive, to be this aggressive, to be this efficient early on because this is a guy who did multiple years of college at a small school and really is used to being a leader, really is used to empowering his teammates and kind of lifting them up along the way. And now he's doing that at the highest level. Yeah, I really like the comparison to Westbrook. That's the one I made throughout the draft process in terms of, you know, style of play, athleticism, explosiveness, and Obviously, Morant's body will continue to evolve from a strength standpoint, just as Russ's did throughout his first few years in the league coming out of UCLA. CJ, I look at John Moran, and I've been so impressed with him in, in many ways, but perhaps most importantly, it's his pace. You, you've used that word a lot, and I'm wondering if you could break it down when you when you watch him play, specifically his ability to use his explosiveness, but also use the change of speeds to even make that athleticism and north-south ability that much more effective? I think he's smart. You're talking about a guy who's extremely fast. As we said before, we're comparing him to Russell Westbrook because he's explosive, because he's a lead guard, because he can make plays for others. But you're talking about a guy who still has pace. By pace, I mean he's fast, but he doesn't always play fast. He's able to change his gears. He's able to slow things down, get his defender on his back sometimes. He finds his 75 or his 80 in a sense of not always going 100 miles per hour, able to change things up and manipulate the defense to his advantage. So that way, when he does take off and really use that athleticism, when he really uses that speed, it's more prevalent. He's creating more space. He's able to create more shots for other people and really show his explosive side because he can go from slow to fast as opposed to just being fast all the time. And players who are fast but can play with pace, hence John Wall, Trey Young, Damian Lillard, Steph Curry, James Harden, slow to fast is is one of the best I've ever seen. You know, he lulls you to sleep with his combinations, and then he explodes by you and is able to get the floater, hit the corner man for a three, or throw the lob to the big. So Kyrie Irving's another guy who has a slow, fast gear. He's not always playing fast. Sometimes he lulls you to sleep. Sometimes he's doing his combinations and his dribble penetration moves before he hits you with a step back right mm. or a step back left or a left-hand floater. So I think those are the things that really separate the good players from elite players, being able to move at different speeds. Who else has impressed you? I, I talked about Kobe White. You know, he can really score. Have you seen him at all? And, and also, have you seen, um, you know, P.J. Washington has been really good in Charlotte. Yeah, I like P.J. Washington a lot. I'm a big, big fan of his. I know his trainer, Tim Martin. I spent some time with him because he works with Lee Ning in the summertime. And talking about a guy who really approaches the game the right way, has extended his range and showed that he's a versatile big who can finish around the basket and hit threes. Kobe White has impressed me. I watched him a little bit at Carolina, but didn't know that he was this explosive of a scorer. I know he was a playmaker. He averaged about 16 and 5. Um 
He has crazy speed end-to-end and is able to kind of change the game. But his jump shot looks very compact. It looks very nice. Like he's put a lot of time, gotten a lot of reps up. And uh, you're talking about a guy who has potential to be a lead guard and a guy who can play off the ball with his size and uh, versatility. I'm just so impressed with with this rookie class. I, you know, Obviously, we haven't even seen Zion yet. Can't wait to uh, see what he has to offer. Jackson Hayes just getting going. Another kid I, I love who's also in New Orleans. A uh, big seven-footer out of Texas. Um, I talked about Barrett, too. I don't know how much you've seen. I know you guys don't play the Knicks uh, for a while, um, but whatever you have seen from him, he's he's averaging 37 minutes. So he's playing a ton, but uh, like I said, the, some of the passing and ability to uh, to make decisions has impressed me in addition to the scoring. I, you know, the turnovers are – he's averaging almost four turnovers. I'm not bothered by that. He, You know, that's that's part of the process. But what have you seen from R.J. Barrett? I like his strength. I like his strength and aggressiveness. He attacks the basket. Um, as you said before with Steve Nash talking about the spacing, the difference in him playmaking in college versus the NBA, he's averaging five assists a game. He's getting to the free throw line. and He's knocking down three-pointers at a high clip. I thought his jump shot was one of the things he really needed to improve upon at the NBA level with the NBA line being a little bit further back than the college three-point line. I think he's adjusted very well to that. The only thing I say he needs to tighten up is his free throws. I'm talking about a guy who's shooting – 50% from the field and over 40 from three, but struggling to capitalize at the free throw line of 15-foot jump shots. So once he gets used to knocking down those at a high clip, I think then he becomes the well-rounded player who's able to kind of dominate all three phases, getting into the paint, drawing fouls, having a mid-range game, and being able to make three-point shots. But it's early. It's five-game sample size, which is really small. So he'll be able to kind of boost his free throw percentage. But that's the next step for him, not just getting to the free throw line, but being able to capitalize on them once he gets there. Speaking of efficiency, by the way, you're number two now all-time in Blazer three-point shooting. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate it. I had no idea until I, until I seen it on Instagram. That's a big deal, bro. Uh, and... Um, I'm wondering for, and I, I love that you didn't even know that. I mean, it's it's cool that, again, you know, you're a nice guy, CJ. I don't know what else to say. You know, you're just you're a nice you're a nice young man. I just go hoop, man. I just show up and hoop. Yeah. How, how about your young guys? Um, n- not just the rooks, but uh, I know Simons has played a little bit. Had it looked like he had one pretty good game. I, you know, I, I know it's you guys have a ton of veterans, but um, what have you seen from the young players? I know that Nas Little hasn't really played. Um, just give us a sense of, you know, Gary Trent as well, you know, how the young guys are coming along in Portland. They're working really hard behind the scenes. I think that's the biggest thing. Uh, I see the work they put in behind closed doors, um, getting to practice early, staying late, watching film, asking questions, staying ready. Gary got in a little bit last game. He hasn't played much this season. Nazir hasn't played at all besides the end of the Sacramento game. So just more about learning for a lot of those guys, breaking down film, figuring out how they can get better and how they can potentially be ready when minutes come their way. Anthony's played, and he's played well. He's been efficient. Um, He's been aggressive. He showed flashes of his athleticism finishing around the basket. Obviously, he can shoot the ball with the best of them. He's got a quick release. He can create space, good mid-range, good floater. So he's played well and is continuing to kind of settle into getting used to playing rotation minutes in the NBA. So he's going to be very good. It's only a matter of time before the rest of the world knows, and most of the world already knows because they've seen, you know, the – the summer league highlights, they've seen what he's able to do and they've seen the 37 points he scored on Sacramento Kings last year in our season finale. Mm. What about Hassan? What about Whiteside? He's averaging 13 and 12 and uh, in only 25 minutes, 
pretty really good player efficiency rating. What's it been like with him? What's been the learning process? Obviously, um, you know, like you said, not having Nurik and then Zach got hurt. You know, he he's been forced to do a lot of things. What have you seen from Whiteside? I've seen him. He's he's learning, man. That's the biggest thing. It's a different system. How we play, our play calls, our flow, our culture. What what coach wants out of us. It's different than what he's used to, and he's learning how to fit in, where he's going to get his roles from, where he's going to get his short roles. Uh, how we're going to get lobs to him. We haven't completed a lob yet. We've been trying, and it's been an ongoing process for us. But I think the biggest thing is that he wants to work. He wants to be good. He wants to help the team. And you've seen the production, 13 and 12 and 25 minutes. And this is a guy who was hurt in training camp, so he wasn't able to get a full training camp in and really go through all of our plays, getting in shape with the team and all those things. So he's a little bit behind the curve in that aspect of having been hurt, and now he's battling a little knee injury. But... I think all in all, you can't complain with what we've been able to get out of him and what he's been able to give to us as a team uh, five games into this season. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Uh, a couple injuries worth noting. Steph Curry broke his hand. He'll be out about six weeks. I saw your tweet. Uh, what was the other? There was another injury. Uh, DeAndre Ayton had a 25-game suspension. That's a big deal. Trey Young obviously gets hurt as well, uh, ankle and uh, and you and you had a nice tweet about about Steph. Have you have you talked to Steph? Will you reach out to him? Send him a note. Just wishing him well. I won't reach out directly because we play them in like four days. So I'll see him in the bay when we get there, and that's when I'll talk to him directly. But if I don't see him, then I'll, I'll shoot him a shoot him a message just to to give him some well wishes. I'm sure his phone is blowing up right now. You know, with him just getting hurt last night, posting the uh, the cast or whatever he had on his hand. Yeah. I'm sure he has thousands of messages. So just kind of wait and give it a few days. I know what it's like to be hurt and to be bombarded with text messages and stuff like that. And it's always nice to have them and to receive them, but also kind of a hassle when your hand is broken, you're trying to go through all of them and you're on medication. So I'll wait to see him in person, but it's unfortunate. You never want to see anybody get hurt, especially one of the faces of the league, a guy who's done so much for the game of basketball, having gone to a mid-major um, school in Davison. Um, I've been a fan of his game for a long time and enjoy watching the Warriors and him play. But obviously, this is a huge blow to the Warriors. They were already struggling. They were already going to struggle to make the playoffs this season um, based on projections, based on how they were playing and where they were currently at. But with him out from anywhere from four to six or four to seven weeks, it's it's a huge blow and something this franchise hasn't had to go through in a long time. Obviously, they've had the injuries um, in past years, and Clay Thompson's not there. Kevin Durant's no longer there. They lost Iggy. But I think this is the first time in a long time They've had multiple players hurt at the same time in what seems to be like a rebuild. You know, with seven or eight new players, nine guys under the age of 23. They have mm -hmm. a very, very young team. And when the face of your franchise goes down along with the other faces, you know, Clay Thompson, among others, Draymond Green's battling back injuries, it really tests uh, your franchise. It really tests your culture. It really tests everything you've, you've been able to establish in the past because now you're going through something you haven't gone through in a long time. Um, losing, not just losing close games, but going through blowouts. And the Warriors probably haven't been blown out the way they have this season in a long time. Yeah, and I thought it was uh, indicative that Steve Kerr said, you know, this is not a one-off. This was uh, earlier, too. It wasn't even from the Phoenix game. It was... Uh, it was earlier, like the second game of the year, where they got blitzed by Oklahoma. And he said, "This is we're going to have these kind of nights. Um, th this is not something that we can just expect to go away. And, um, you know, if, if if things don't go the way 
Well, I'll just be realistically. I mean, you're talking about a team that's it's probably not going to go to the playoffs at the very least since 2012, and uh, I think it's it's better chance they end up with a really high draft pick than than making the playoffs given these injuries. Yeah, I mean, you're right, and I think that the draft pick from the Brooklyn Nets is top 20 protected. Is that correct? That sounds right. Yeah. So they're going to be in a position to where, based on what we've seen so far, they should be picking in that that lottery area. Yeah. If the season were to end today, they'd be in a lottery. Yeah. But the season doesn't end for 77 more games. Yeah. I mean, I've had Warrior fans ask me, like, you know, why why did they try to be competitive this year? Why didn't they go full tank? My answer is, uh, first of all, I don't know if they didn't, it, what they anticipated with Clay's injury. They obviously didn't think Steph would get hurt. And they have this brand, beautiful brand-new arena. And they want to be competitive in their first year, and and it's just not going to happen. Um, uh, and I'm, I feel like it's it's unfortunate for 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 that fan base, but it is this is how the league works. And to be that good for that long is really hard to do. The only team that's done it for decades is is the Spurs. That's the only organization. So I don't really. I'm not really sure how else to address that. Yeah, they're the only team that's like made the playoffs, what, 20 consecutive years? So that means they've consistently figured out ways to avoid rebuilds. But it's it's usually impossible. They've they've been the upper extreme. They've been the outlier in this situation of not really going through down years, per se. They've had years where they lose in the first round, but they've usually been in the playoffs um, year in and year out. So before we let you go this week, CJ, you, you've been in the media recently. <laughs> First of all, wonderful New York Times article where the Polo Pod gets... Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah, no, I mean, I appreciate you. It was great to hear you talk about preparation, a lot of the, you know, listening back to the show in the cold tub and, and how, uh, you know, you were a journalism major and reading about... Your uh, your commitment to the Canton paper as a kid. What was it called? The the Canton the Canton Repository. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I love that. And then also um, the your your little cameo on Stumptown, where you talk, where they call you the, the you know mid range king, and you're eating, and it looks it, it's pretty cool. Um, can we expect more acting from you in the future? I think you might. I think you might be able to expect that. I had a great time. Shout out to Stumptown. If you haven't seen it, it comes on ABC, 10-9 Central. Great show. Um, basically, I'm living my best life, man. I'm working extremely hard at my craft, and various opportunities have come up in the past, especially this last summer, to where strategically it fit with my brand, it fit with what I'm about and with my schedule. And uh, I was thankful and lucky enough to be able to contribute to that. I was also in the AT&T spot for the season, um, which focuses on area codes. And I was sipping some tea as all these people just talked about how great their fan base was. But we all know uh, Portland has the best fan base in the NBA, and it's not close. But, yeah, man, if, if the right cameo comes about and time permits and it's in line with my brand and my strategy, then I definitely will – take part in those in the future for sure i just love how you said I'm, I'm more than a basketball player i love food when did you film this so everybody can get a sense of uh i love food yeah <laughs> this was filmed in la right that was filmed in uh in la in the summertime yeah right yeah i was filmed in the summertime and it was it was a really cool situation i had my own trailer i really enjoyed it man it was a lot of fun you're just in the one scene right 
Yeah, it was just in the one scene. I actually haven't watched it yet. I'm going to watch it uh, later on tonight and uh, see how see how they implemented it into the actual scene. So just give me a sense of like, how much did you have to memorize? What Was anything ad-libbed? And then how many takes did you need? I knocked it out in the first take, but we, we recorded it in different angles. But the first take was perfect. She said it was flawless. But we had to record it for different angles. And obviously, they focused the camera on me, then they focused the camera on my guy behind the bar, then they focused the camera on some of the people in the actual restaurant. So it was cool. I ad-libbed a little bit of it, but mostly it was just scripted. I, I memorized my lines in, I don't know, a few hours. It's really funny. I, I practiced a little bit the day before, and then, and then I had a little rehearsal for like, I don't know, a little dress rehearsal for like 30 minutes. And then next thing you know, we were live. First we, first we read them out loud, like actually reading the script, and then we go off script. And and I got I nailed it off script, and then they just they were like, "All right, let's go live rolling." And then the lights came out and everything, and it was showtime. Man, very funny. Uh, it's very funny because it. I don't know. I just think it's a cool thing to do, and I hope you do more of it. I feel like it's just another way to expand your brand and uh, get out of your comfort zone. I can imagine that was not easy to just walk into walk onto a set and just have. It, I mean, you always have cameras on you, but this is a totally different ballgame. Yeah, completely different feel, man, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. I really, really enjoyed it, and I hope they'll welcome me back at some point because I would love to come back on. Well, I mean, listen, if we want to do a live pull-up pod on it with wine, it's, it's no problem for me either. <laughs> okay, man. Sounds like, sounds like we've got this all figured out, and we can, we can do this. We definitely appreciate our listeners out there tuning in faithfully throughout the week. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio.com, backslash Pull Up with CJ, or wherever you get your shows. And don't forget to pull up. Pull up. <laughs>